Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. Now, here is a motion picture film. The dude binds. Say hello to my little friend. Go ahead. Make my day. Come quietly or there will be trouble. I'll shove that bat up your ass and turn you into a popsicle. Inconceivable. Welcome to the All-American Spook Show Podcast. I'm sorry, boys. I'm afraid I can't do that. I'm afraid I can't do that. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling, I'm happy again. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the All-American Spook Show Podcast. I'm Josh and I'm joined here with Tiana and the Professor Smoke. And Donnie and Will are on assignment. They couldn't make it this week, but we, we've got a we've got a big one. It's our latest cult corner, and it's a bona fide classic. We're going to be talking about a Clockwork Orange from 1971. Th- this is one of those ones that truly defines, I think, what cult corner is all about. Right, a high end cult classic for sure. Wouldn't you say? And one that uh, you know, cross uh, crosses over from, of course, it's cult classic, no doubt, but also, I mean, it's Stanley Kubrick, so it's also a big budget. And uh, just very critically renowned as well. So it's one of those types of, uh, you know, we do all kinds of, of different cult, you know, movies on the cult corner. But uh, a few times that we, we'll get them like this that are just big movies that are big on the midnight. We're big on the midnight scene at the time and big in, in Hollywood and worldwide, basically. And, you know, and we'll get into the reasons why, even though, like like you said, the pedigree, Stanley Kubrick, a pretty good budget and everything, why it became a cult classic. We'll get into those reasons because there's a few specific reasons. <clears throat> I think that has to do with the subject material. We'll, <laughs> we'll leave it at that for now, but we'll, we'll get deep into it. But uh, before we take the deep dive, we always like to throw out to remind you to visit aaspookshow.com. That's the center of the Spook Show universe. From there, you can uh, check out our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash aaspookshow as well. Uh, where every month you get a video minisode, including the library, the professor, and every month you get Craftsterpiece Theater. Uh, the the thing that we hate, but you guys love, every month you get that when you become a patron over at patreon.com slash Show. Then, of course, also on the website, you get you have all of our past podcasts archived, almost 200 episodes now. They're for your listening pleasure. And you can also go to our YouTube channel where you can also find pretty much all of our podcast episodes but also our monthly series that we do exclusive to our YouTube channel, which include Video Vortex, Grindhouse Gutter, and Hammer Horror in Order. So lots of stuff going on in the Spook Show universe every week, every month, all the time, 24-7, 365, never stops. Sometimes we need a break, honestly, but we've, we've got too much. We've got too much to talk about, too much going on. But anyways, that's enough of that. We'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for A Clockwork Orange. There was me, that is Alex, and my three droogs, that is Pete, Georgie, and Dim. And we sat in the Corova milk bar trying to make up our razoo docks what to do with the evening. The Corova milk bar sold milk plus, which is what we were drinking. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old ultra-violence. He's enterprising, aggressive, young, bold, vicious. He'll do. Who on earth could that be? Now it was lovely music that came to my aid. A bit of the old Ludwig van. Pretty well, little brother. Pretty well. 
your own torture. I hope to God it'll torture you to madness. Gorgeousness and gorgeousity made flesh. All right, there's the trailer for that. I would imagine for the, both of y'all, it's probably like me. This is one you've seen a number of times in the past, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I'll, I'll mention the first time. I, well, I don't remember exactly how old it was or exactly what year it was. It definitely wasn't in the theater because it's 1971. Uh, but it was probably at a much too early age for me to have probably been watching it. <laughs> Just happened to catch it like when we had. Cinemax or something for free for a week or that week or HBO or whatever it was. And it happened to be on late at night or something. And I'm like, Oh, what is this? I think I'd heard of it before at the time, but, uh, watched it and, and loved it even then. But like I said, it's, I don't remember. It was, I was probably a preteen. <laughs> I was a lot older than that by the time I finally got around to this one, but you know, probably, uh, late teens, early twenties, somewhere around there, you know, college age, roughly by the time I, I watched this one for the first time. And I don't remember this one being one, I could be wrong. That was like edited and played on like local TV or anything. Maybe there was, but I, I don't remember ever seeing it. I don't remember that either. I don't remember there being, I mean, I guess, you know, it could, well, they would have to cut a lot out and probably be one of those where they would use other filmed inserts like uh, certain other movies did to, to pad out the running time because there probably would have been quite a bit missing from this movie that for it to air yeah. on. <laughs> oh, yeah. not, not to mention the fact that the runtime is pretty long. Regardless, even if you didn't cut anything out, right? I mean, it's already two what's two sixteen, so yeah. you'd have to cut out so much it probably wouldn't make much sense, you know. So maybe that's why I just don't remember this one being one that got a lot of play that way. But I had, I had definitely heard of it, you know, before I watched it. I it seems like I'd probably seen the you know the, the tape at the rental stores and all that before I finally watched it. Yeah, that's um, another thing that is is very iconic for the uh, yeah. Poster art for the movie, of course. Anybody, everybody, even if they've never seen the movie, knows that artwork when they see it. I think that that one shot, too, pretty much literally the first shot you see in the movie of Alex, yeah. kind of like with his head down but looking up with the, you know, the eye, you know, just that look with the hat and the the uh, the stuff around his eye. What, are, what do they call that? Uh, damn, not mascara, but he's got eyelashes. He's like yeah, eyelashes, he's got yeah, the, the yeah the fake eyelashes on his eye. Just that shot is iconic. I, don't, I think even if you've never seen this movie, you've probably seen that shot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even the drawing of it. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of very similar to that shot. But yeah, I, I remember watching this for the first time and being like, wow, that, that was crazy. But like, it also, this is one, uh, this is for me, and I, maybe I'm giving away, I'm going to not necessarily give away my rating, but maybe where I'm going to lean with this. This is one for me that's like, maybe when I saw it, the fact that I don't, quite understand exactly what the hell this movie is about it's a notch below for me it's still really high and you know we'll, we'll get into it with the ratings and stuff but it's always been one that's like man a clockwork orange that's like one you know some people will say it's like a top 10 movie for them but for me it's just kind of always been slightly below that just i, I don't i can't even pinpoint the exact reasons but you know and i'm sure we'll get into it a little bit later on but I say that only to say it's one that I've seen a number of times, but it's not one I go to all the time. And, I, and it's been a long time since I watched it. Cause it's kind of like, once you see it a time or two, it's like, all right, well I've seen it. And maybe with some passage of time, you're kind of like, you know, okay, well there's some things I forgot about, or there's some things I didn't catch the last time, but it's not one I'm going to like put on my annual watch list. Definitely can be, I guess a harder one to get into as far as also it's based on a novel by Anthony Burgess, mm-hmm. the same name. Yeah. And as Cooper, generally does it's not going to be exactly to the t of the novel the same with like the shining or any any adaptation he's ever done from a novel he, he puts his own spin to it or whatever and that was that's definitely one of his favorite things to do too a lot of his best works were some adaptation of a novel or something right yep but like and and famously I, i'm not sure i don't recall what maybe anthony burgess thought of of uh the movie but i know you know stephen king wasn't too pleased originally with the shining yeah i mean i think he accept it now but i mean in the in you know when he first made the shining i know king wasn't too happy with it so no it is 
it's, it's Kubrick, like I said, he's going to make it his own, regardless of whatever the story is, you know, whoever wrote it. And, and look, and I've never read the original novel, so I don't know how faithful it is or anything. I mean, have either of you ever read the novel? I've read it. It's been a long time. I haven't. It's one, one cool thing about the novel, though, is in the back of it, it has a glossary to the terms of the slang words that are yeah. made up they use in the movie and they're kind of it's kind of russian and, and mixed with just other you know yeah i looked i saw something about that they call that uh natsack Nats- 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 yeah Nats- <laughs> yeah it's yeah narration and natsack it's, it's slang it's like a russian english cockney rhyme slang and, yeah. and maybe that's another one of the things that just kind of threw me off of it you know back in the day was like I don't know what the hell they're saying sometimes. It's like, what the, what the fuck is this? You know, <laughs> it becomes <laughs> nonsense in a way. I, I'll say this. I could follow it a little bit better this time around than I remember following it back then, you know? And maybe that's just being a little older and being able to like fully pay attention to what's going on or something. I don't know. I think and really, I mean, I think for me, and you know, as far as what it's kind of about, I guess in the, to you know, break it down into I guess bite-sized chunks maybe is like free will. I mean, I guess if you were to put maybe one sentence, is it's about free will and whether whether it's worth it to try these different you know. Well, in this movie, it's that experimental Ludovico technique, you know, which yeah. is made up for this movie. A but you can say a lot of things that have come down from psychology that they've tried to use to fix quote unquote criminals or the mind or whatever or you know. But is is it worth taking somebody's free will away from them in order to apply this sort of, you know, in other words, a government could use this very easily for totalitarian, tyrannical type purposes, right? Yeah. Like, uh, what was some of the M- uh, MK Ultra, so, you know, CIA type things and all this, mm-hmm. these types of mind control things. So to me, it's kind of like that. It's like, is it worth sacrificing free will in order to impose some sort of a order on an individual or whatever. And maybe, or, and, and maybe in that way, it's like, this was something very much of the time where, you know, you've got the cold war going on and I'm sure there was yeah. a lot of paranoia with, with government and stuff. And, you know, and when they made this in the early seventies, so not to, not to say that that still doesn't go on today, but I think it was really at a fever pitch or a high point in, in history at that point. Right. Much, much like I kind of put it in the same sort of category as uh, Orwell's 1984 as well. Yeah. Which is also another dystopian thing about free will and whatnot. So yeah, and that's the other thing too. Like this is supposed to be kind of in the future, but like not too distant future, right? Of the, yeah. of yeah. the time. Yeah, not the not Blade Runner dystopian future. Yeah, but, yeah. it's but, not uh, like it's not like fast forward sixty years after a nuclear war dystopian kind of thing. This is more like ten, fifteen years from now kind of thing. Where you know if if things keep going as shitty as they are. This is where we will be, you know. I, I just think, like, when I when I watched it when I was, you know, 18 to 22 years old, wherever I was, I had a less of an understanding at that point than I do of it now, you know. So maybe I can appreciate it a little bit more now. But it's still, just for those reasons, though, it's always been kind of a, I'm not going to say less than. It's still, like, high up on my list. It's just kind of like I could name off a bunch more that I would rather watch than A Clockwork Orange, you know, when I'm thinking about cult films and stuff. I appreciated the visual aspect of it back then yeah. more so than our storyline, I guess, and the music and everything and all that play together. I, I love that. Well, Beethoven is a, is a key thing in it, but that electronic Moog version of mm-hmm. some of the Beethoven sim, you know, Ninth Symphony or whatever, and other parts of the other thing, which is very seventy. Even though it's supposed to be in the future, and you can't, and it's Stanley Kubrick, and he likes to when he does something like this, he's trying to do it to where it's not particularly of a time but this is very much of the 70s i mean you can you know from the wallpaper and his parents yeah. house and everything to the to the way this the the music store was set up even though it's playing the supposedly futuristic type of music it's it's just very it's very 70s which yeah whether or not he succeeded in you know making it not you know making it timeless maybe not but i mean i, I still think it's real strong visuals even though you, you can definitely tell it's 70s you know? yeah you got all the vinyl records and stuff and all, ironically like vinyl swung back around now but like you could tell that it's like a seventies record shop, you know, in this movie versus, you know, versus some, like I said, I think that's probably why he went kind of went out of his way, not to put a date on it. It's like, yeah. just know that this is, this ain't right now. This is sometime in the future, but don't worry about how far into the future. And here's the story, you know? 
Uh, I guess that's as good a, a point as any to go ahead and uh, get into some of the background information. Uh, this movie premiered December 19th, 1971. Played in, uh, you know, that's where it had its official premiere, played a couple of different places, and then it was released wide in the UK January 13th of 1972, and then here in the United States February 2nd, 1972. It was produced by Polaris Productions, Hawk Films, and it was distributed by Warner Brothers here in the United States and then Columbia Warner Distributors in the UK. Uh, it originally got an X rating upon its release. And then I think very shortly afterwards, it was changed to a uh, R rating. At least that's here in the U.S. I think he went in and cut a couple of key scenes that got them the X rating and then they were able to get the R rating. It's got a total runtime of two hours and 16 minutes. On IMDb, it's listed as a uh, comedy sci-fi crime, which is a weird mix, right? But if you've ever seen this movie, you understand that mix. Uh, it was filmed around the UK, mostly in London, but you know, in various other areas around London, from September seventh of nineteen seventy to February seventh of nineteen seventy-one, for a budget of two point two million dollars. And it went on to a, wor- a worldwide gross of $26.9 million. Now, I saw some other numbers that were much higher than that, but at least that's mostly here. the domestic numbers was, you know, well north of $25 million here in the U.S. So I think that's where it brought in most of its, most of its money. And I believe it got uh, uh, pulled and banned in a lot of countries as well, at least at the time, which probably read, uh, led to some of the, the critics at the time not necessarily – being in love with it. I didn't find where necessarily anyone were, you know, kind of shit on it back then. It just kind of the violence and everything was so much that like, I think it kind of got poo pooed a little bit because of that. They weren't necessarily shitting on the movie itself. Just the, the subject matter in the movie, like smoke mentioned earlier, it's adapted from the 1962 novel of the same name, a clockwork orange by Anthony Burgess. It actually went on to be preserved, which is hilarious. Knowing the, 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 uh, the history of the movie and where it was banned and um, seen seen as vi- too violent and, and, and perverse back then and everything to fast forward, you know, 50 years or so. It's now preserved in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress back in 2020. So that's, that's I'm sure back in 1971, that would have been hilarious to think of, right? But here we are. It was directed, produced, and the screenplay were, was written by Stanley Kubrick, which, you know, we've We've talked quite a bit about him. We've we've done what The Shining, and back during the uh, Spook Show Summer Disaster, we did um, Doctor Strangelove. So we've done at least two Kubrick movies that I can think of right off the top of my head. I don't think we've done any others yet. Although I know this won't be the last time. And you know, I'm not necessarily counting uh, Kub- uh, Doctor Sleep as a Kubrick movie, but it's very heavily influenced by The Shining. Right? It's a sequel to The Shining. So. It's it's not a Kubrick movie, but it's Kubrick-esque. So I guess we can kind of count that one, but not really. It stars Malcolm McDowell as Alex. Uh, he was also in Time After Time, Star Trek Generations. Uh, he was Dr. Loomis in the, Hallow- in the Rob Zombie Halloween remakes. I think in both of those, right? Patrick McGee as Mr. Alexander. Now, this is the, the old guy that, you know, the gang like beats the shit out of early in the movie. And then it comes back around to bite him in the ass a little bit later on. He was also in Barry Lyndon, which is another Kubrick movie. And uh, Chariots of Fire. So he had a long, long, great career. Uh, Michael Bates as the chief guard. Uh, he was also in Patton and the movie Frenzy. Warren Clark as Dim, one of his, uh, you know, what do they call him? The Droogs, one of his uh, gang mates, right? Um, this was, he was in the movie Firefox, but I thought this was hilarious. He was in the movie Top Secret. Remember that, uh, yeah. that, that uh, airplane-esque uh, comedy back in the 80s? <clears throat> yeah, Val Kilmer was that. Yeah, Val Kilmer. Yeah, yeah I, I can think of the guy's name. And uh, one more to note: I mean, there's lots of other, you know, really good. Uh, th- this cast is full of like really good character actors and stuff of the '70s and '80s and stuff. But one that I thought was pretty interesting was David Prowse as Julian. Yep. I remember Julian is the big dude that Alexander has like at the end. It's like the weightlifter dude that's taking care of him and everything towards the end. Well, he just goes on to become Darth Vader after that. So if you want to see what the dude playing Vader in the suit looked like years before that, there you go. Yep. So I thought that like was, uh, six years, <laughs> six years before yeah, Star Wars. Roughly, yeah, yeah. 
I thought that was pretty cool. But I right, so I know we we said off the top that Donnie's not here, but like somebody walking through the back door <laughs> to deliver an RKO out of nowhere. We we've right. got Donnie here, although he's not going to stick around. He's not going to stick around for the long haul here. He's just got a few minutes to kind of give his thoughts. And yeah, I got uh, I got to run. Yeah, so uh, we'll we'll get to your thoughts and all that stuff first, but something something you might need kind of like in the movie when they they go to the milk bar and then they they add in some stuff to the milk yeah. to kind of give them give them a boost for the night of ultra violence. Now we're not going to condone that part of it, but something that you might need to give you a little jolt might be something we've talked about the last few weeks and that's magic mind, right? Yeah, so uh yeah, I mean you know, we've talked about, you know, just trying to get through a couple of these movies that we've, we've watched over the past, you know, l- little bit, but, uh, um, you know, I, I had been, you know, using like energy drinks, you know, but, uh, it, they just affect my sleep too much. But since we started, uh, actually drinking uh, magic mind, um, you know, I'm sleeping better, a lot better now. I'm more on a, like a regular sleeping schedule, which I never was. Mm-hmm. previously now smoke you and tiana you you got a couple of uh bottles of it as well did you did you feel any benefits from it whenever you uh you tried it out i took it before i went to work i'm a little bit more sharper maybe a little bit more a little more focused and like donnie said uh i'm used to like down in a shitload of coffee or in or an energy drink i mean and so uh this is a was gives you energy and focus without you know, some people maybe get affected by all the like way too much caffeine or whatever, you know, it didn't give me the jittery, you know, stuff. So, so I guess you call that a benefit of uh sharpness and focus without the jitteriness. Yeah. That's definitely one of the the main selling points. I think of this stuff. Now, some of the stuff it's got in it is it's got matcha tea. So if you, if you like the flavor of that, that's in there, uh, it's got ashwagandha and that's supposed to help with stress and anxiety. Oh yeah. It, it's, I take ashwagandha. Yeah. So there you go. This is an added benefit yeah. of that. Uh, it's got lion's mane mushrooms. It's got cordyceps mushrooms. So it's got a lot of natural ingredients to kind of help you through your day, give you that extra boost because they, they they do recommend you, you drink it with your morning coffee or your, your morning tea, whatever your morning caffeine routine is. Right. I guess yeah. maybe even energy drinks, whatever. Yeah. Something else I would, uh, you know, definitely worth mentioning, uh, uh, probably an added benefit, uh, versus coffee. You're not, you know, when you drink, when you drink magic mind, you're, you're not going to shit your pants in you know, the first 10 minutes. <laughs> well, that I would say that's an added benefit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So if you, this is coffee, you know, yeah. it can happen. At any if, time. You wanna, if you want to avoid the coffee shits or uh, any of these other things right now, only this month. So this is to the end of January. So you, you've literally only got uh, days left as you hear this episode to cash in on this deal that, that they're uh helping us out with and you can uh get one month for free when you subscribe for three months at magicmind.com slash jan all american that's magicmind.com slash jan all american and with our code we have this on our own little special exclusive code all american 20 that will give you an extra 20 percent off which gets you up to 75 percent off this this deal only lasts until the end of january so hurry up before it goes away. That's magicmind.com slash J-A-N All-American and then put in your code All-American20 and you'll get the deal. So, Donnie, what were your uh, your thoughts and your, and your star rating before you check out on us here? And if you've got the uh, connections from the crypt, you can go ahead and throw those out as well. Yeah, I do. Uh, so, you know, Clockwork Orange, man, you know, when you think ultraviolence, this is what you think of, you know. Th- and also, you know, this is what Colt Corner is for. Uh, you know, this is a, a classic and uh, I guess, you know, maybe at times it, it's still kind of like a tough watch, you know, at times, but, uh, uh, but still that my rating is four stars. Uh, that's yeah, that, that would be, I mean, this, this is a classic in every, every sense of the word. Donnie, where's the cult connections? Come out and play. So for cast connections, uh, we've got Malcolm McDowell, who was in the Book of Eli. And I forgot that he was in the Book of Eli. Yeah, me too. Completely forgot yeah. about it. But um, but yeah, that was back when we did the summer disaster. Um, and then also on the crew side, probably no surprise here, Stanley Kubrick. 
uh, when we covered The Shining and Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, that does it for me. Yeah, I th- gotta, thanks I for bounce. sliding in the back door and uh, giving us your ratings and everything, and hopefully uh, you can come back next week. Sliding in the back door and not shitting your pants. Yep, there you go. Words of wisdom. <laughs> All right, y'all. See ya. There was one more thing that I wanted to mention that I saw. This was actually nominated for four Academy Awards there in 1972. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Film Editing. It didn't win any of them, but it did get four Oscar nominations, so that's pretty cool. I didn't look far enough to see who beat them out, but 1972, I can imagine it was something great. But, yeah, either way. Even though it was Malcolm McDowell's, like, probably his best role ever, he fucking hates it. (laughs) He hates that role. (laughs) He hates that It's always weird when you hear that from somebody, right? Like, you've got this one defining thing. Like, I'm telling you, like, like I was describing a minute ago, that shot of him, like, looking down, but, you know, or with his head down and looking up. I mean, like, that's the kind of shit they put on your, your Hall of Fame plaque. You know, or on your tombstone or something like this is like the moment, you know, and when you hear stuff like that, it's kind of, and on one hand, it's, it's kind of unsurprising because, you know, a lot of these people don't want to be painted in the corner of like, oh, I just don't want to be remembered for this one thing. But then on the other hand, it's like, well, you're, you're going to be remembered for something, dude. And this is something awesome. So, right. Especially it's like a, one, one thing is uh, I'm a delinquent that, you know, rapist. <laughs> <laughs> I could see those aspects of it too. Like, you know, the, if he sees it as like a glorification of violence, you know, right. And all this stuff, you know, what do they call it? The ultra violence, you know, and everything in this movie. If he's, but I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't think that was the case for him. I think it was mainly just to have him being known for the fans. Like, Oh, do you? Oh, Alex Lord, you know, and all that stuff. (laughs) I don't think it was necessarily the theming of the movie. So I'm just wondering how Stanley treated him. Because I've heard him, you know, treating some of his yeah. actors. <laughs> well, for one thing, I know that uh, that yeah, contraption, actually. that Ludovico thing that he had on his on his eyes to hold him open, Ooh. was an actual thing on his eyes oh. holding him open. And they put, like, anesthetic in his eyes, but it still ended up scratching his corneas. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. And, like, he got temporarily blinded or something from that. And then that, that dude that's dropping those drops in his eyes, that's like a legit physician or something, like trying to keep his eyes. Like that's not just for the movie. Like there were, there was practicality to it as it was part of the movie too. There was something too, where uh, he broke or fractured a rib or something on that, that the one scene where he's on the stage and I think they come up and beat the crap out of him or something. I think he fractured a rib on that. So maybe you're right. Maybe it's just like, you know what? Like I've got some bad memories from this movie. So fuck this movie. I'm sure he probably caught some shit too. Like just because this movie did catch shit, you know, shit for the, the subject material. I'm sure he, he probably caught some of that flack as well. Just separately from that. Right. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. Just from acting, being the main guy doing, you know, like, like people will do, you know, they'll see him like, Oh, you're that guy, you know? Yeah. You become the poster child, even though you've got nothing to do with it. And you know, it's just a movie, but you know, your face is on it. You become the poster child for, you know, some, some questionable stuff here. So maybe right, just, yeah. Yeah, you just want to distance yourself from it, but that is interesting. It's refreshment time. And our refreshment stand is loaded with good things to eat. There's crispy, crunchy popcorn and hot, delicious buttered popcorn, lots of candy and frosty, refreshing cold drinks. Why not treat yourself at the refreshment center now? For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So I hopped over to audible.com and typed in A Clockwork Orange, and wouldn't you know it, there it is. A Clockwork Orange by Anthony Burgess. Uh, they've got, ver- it looks like various uh, versions of it, at least uh, two or three different ones here. Uh, this one's narrated by Tom Hollander. It's just under eight hours long. Then there's another one called A Clockwork Orange Neon Edition. Narrated by Benno Furman. That one's just under six hours long. Okay, wait a minute. This looks like that one's in German. So unless you know German, you might want to avoid that one. But there's a, uh, another one by narrated by Tom Hollander. Um, so there's various versions of it there. And then something related or unrelated here. We've got American Psycho by Brett Easton Ellis. That one's uh, 16 and a half hours long. And that one's an Audible exclusive. So 
I guess it falls close enough in the genre. So if any of that floats your boat, you can uh, go to audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audio book. So like we normally do, I'm going to go hop on over to imdb.com to see, click on the plot summary there to see what kind of, uh, it's too bad Donnie's not here because I'm sure there's got to be a long one for this one, right? Okay. All right, here we go. Oh yeah, there's a long one. Uh, we've got the one sentence in the future, a sadistic gang leaders in prison and volunteers for a conduct aversion experiment, but it doesn't go as planned. Then we've got a, a couple of long ones, but I'll go with the longest one. This one was uh, p- posted by Huggo on IMDb In a near futuristic society. Late teen Alex DeLarge is the leader of a gang of thugs, his droogs who commit acts of ultra violence, often with sexual components without any regard for their victims and purely because it strikes their collective fancies. These acts are largely fueled by drug use. In addition, Alex is a lover of music, especially that of Ludwig von Beethoven, which when he listens to it during these acts intensifies his, I'm sorry, intensifies his pleasure and in turn inspires him to commit further such acts. He does not tolerate any challenge to his leadership by his droogs. Although the authorities in general know of Alex's delinquency, they have so far been unable to catch him in the act of his crimes until one night after a sexual assault of an older woman. Alex, and Alex alone, is charged, convicted, and incarcerated. But Alex sees what he believes is an easy way out when the government looks for subjects to participate in a new rehabilitation therapy, the end result being released from prison after the two-week therapy. The therapy ends up having consequences that Alex did not envision. The questions become how Alex will function and how others will act toward him in his changed state. That's a long explanation, but in a lot of ways, somewhat of an oversimplified explanation, especially of, especially of the part what ended up putting him in prison, right? Oh, he just, uh, yeah. he just killed a woman with a dick statue. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like the rock and dick statue. Yeah, that, <laughs> and, then, and then he's just sitting there poking it and watching the rock. Dun, dun, and yeah. she's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Although I didn't get like and, until they kind of explained what happened, like I didn't get like how they were charging him with murder because it looked like he just kind of you know, <laughs> just kind of hits her with it, but then apparently like she died from that. She, well, not, not, there was a joke there, but I guess I won't go there. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> there's, there's no reason to, to, to take the low-hanging fruit today, Smoke. <laughs> but that opening shot, I mean, like, what well, you kind of, you kind of, they set the tone. Kubrick does a, a, always, I mean, obviously he's a master filmmaker, right? I mean, like, the dude knows how to get you right in it from the go. Like, you got the red screen. And then I think you see like his name. I think it goes to blue and then back to red and then a clockwork orange. And then bam, that shot that we've talked about a couple of times of Malcolm McDowell, you know, Alex looking up and then it kind of slowly pulls back, you know, and you see where, where they are in this milk bar. Right. <laughs> Which what the fuck? Milk. Yeah. What the yeah. fuck? What the fuck is a milk bar? <laughs> well, there, remember he's going through that thing where he's like, I guess making up drugs, you know, Drinking milk laced with synchrom and this, that, and you know, these drugs for that time period that they're in or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that was one question I was going to have. Like, maybe I'm um, I'm uh, drug illiterate, but I'd never heard of these drugs. So clearly this is some made up shit, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's made, I, and that, oh yeah, by the way, here's the skinny on the uh, the uh, NADSAC, because I was kind of looking that up while we are doing some of the others talking a little while ago. But uh-huh. uh, it, it, Burgess was a linguist, much like Tolkien. So he made up the NADSAT language just specifically for the characters in Clockwork Orange so that the slang they spoke would be would not be able to be placed in a certain time period. Because he knew if you used oh. slang of that time period that, that he wrote it in the sixties, of course, it would place it in the sixties. So Yeah. Okay. So that's, and I guess the drugs too. He didn't want to use necessarily <laughs> regular, you know, like L S D and this, that and the other thing of, of drugs that were common at the time he wrote it or whatever. Because for me, a lot of times when I watch British origin movies, I, and I know this, this is this is kind of weird, right? It's like Stanley Kubrick, an American filmmaker, who makes a completely like a really British movie like this, right? Yeah. But it, but it feels like that. It feels like something, you know, that was made, yeah. you know, from someone in the UK. But Barry Lydon. Have yeah. you seen that one? 
No, I've, ne- I've never watched it. No, I mean, it's it's another one that's been on my list forever and just never swung back around to see it. I've heard it's really good, but... I don't know, but I don't know how we would... It'd be a stretch. I guess we could throw it in a cold, cor- cold corner or something like that. But yeah, I want to revisit that one because I've only seen it once. But with these types of movies, sometimes the... the I'm not going to say it's a language barrier because they're speaking English, but the slang and stuff they throw at you, just like, what are they talking about? You know, it's like... It's not it's not to the extreme of something like Lock Stock and what is it, Two Smoking Barrels, isn't that the name of the movie? Or one of the, um yeah. one of those guy Richie type flicks where they're talking really fast and they're just saying shit, you're like, What what's going on here? You know? <laughs> it's not quite that yeah. bad, but it's almost like that yeah. where you're like you, you lose me somewhere in here, you know, with the way they're talking sometimes. But in this one it's like, well, they just made up a fucking language. That's why it's hard. There's one that we watched. Uh, was it an Irish one? That, that horror movie that was fairly, you know, maybe within the last eight years or whatever. And it was hard to follow the language because, I mean, they're speaking English. Yeah. But again, it's a very dialect and throwing in certain word, Gaelic type words so and things in here. Right. Huh? Kill us. Kill us, right? Yeah, yeah we need yeah. to watch Kill that us. again. That was the one. I was subtitles of. because that, yeah. It's so British. <laughs> that that's when you know you've got a good one when it's an English movie that you have to turn the uh, captioning on. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. understand what the fuck's going on here. Let me see if I can read it and understand it. <laughs> Those type of movies, like they can be really good, but they kind of lose you because you know they're not only are they speaking in a different dialect, you know, but they're throwing in slang words that we don't know and stuff like that. And I'm sure they you know, uh, over in the UK or something, they probably get the same stuff if they're watching a movie that's in Louisiana or something like, what are these, what are these rednecks talking about? You know, I'm sure they got the same issue, you know, but when they start talking fast, that was why a lot of people didn't like the witch either. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that that was a time period kind of hang up though too, right? Like they're, they're speaking like, uh, whatever century that was, what 18th century or whatever. Yeah, old I, English. Or even before. Oh, yeah, it might have been the might have been seventy, sixty. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. when it was supposed to be, but yeah. So the yeah, the the dialect, everything they're they're speaking is, you know, almost like listening to the Bible, you know? It's like all right. Now that one I didn't have as much I guess some of those I don't have as much trouble with because I like read a lot of like, you know, you read Edgar Allan Poe and Lovecraft yeah, and stuff from that yeah. sort of from that a little later. Where it's written or even like Shakespeare or something, where it's I can see how if you if somebody's not familiar with reading, if, if, if the most oldest thing they've read is like Stephen King or something or Clyde Barker or whatever, then it, you know, following some of that older English language is is going to be hard, I guess, and might be easier to turn the subtitles on to watch it that way. But I, I don't remember ever having any trouble with the wish, even when we saw it in the theater the first time. But, but I know a lot of people did. I remember just hearing that a lot. In the early parts of the movie here, we see a lot of uh, them just him and his and his gang just going around causing chaos, like they beat up a bum. They have a fight with another rival gang, but then eventually they land in this place that has a sign outside that just says home and they go in and this is, this is probably, would you say this is the most infamous scene or at least one of the most infamous scenes of the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would say probably is the most, and also not the least of which is the fact of the song <laughs> Yeah, that he's doing the mayhem, which is uh, of course singing in the rain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As as they they're literally kicking the shit out of this old man or this older guy, it, uh, they well they get around to raping his I guess it's his wife or his girlfriend I don't know what their relationship was and I guess in the end it doesn't really matter but um, yeah I remember him saying that later on once okay. yeah but yeah so they they cut her clothes off and now you don't see the rape though right like I mean uh, you put two and two together you figure all right this is what's going on here but you don't see it happen um. Other than the fact that he's got like a, uh, he puts a nose on. <laughs> that mask. Uh, the, yeah, the, he's got a mask what? with the eye, eye mask thing nose. with the long, like Cyr- looking. Yeah, the Cyrano. <laughs> God, I'm I'm gonna fucking butcher it. Cyrano de Bergerac nose yeah. looking thing with the, it's a dildo <laughs> nose. <laughs> now, did he, I, I guess that's, I guess that's a a question. I don't know if it's the question, but that's a question. Is did he rape her with that mask? I don't. No. I don't think so. I think it was just no. a visual cue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, you know, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> just phallic things. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It looked literally when it came to the next house, like we talked about <laughs> earlier with the rock and penis sculpture. Yeah. <laughs> the rock and dick statue. He wanted to do the old in and out. Yeah. 
<laughs> I can tell you, brothers. When they do the old, he he's t- he throws that one out there a lot. You could definitely see though of the time. I mean, this is this is hard to watch now. You know, so you can only imagine back then a scene like this. Oh, you know how that would play, right? One. With well, a bunch of other people like, looking at each other, like, "What the fuck is going on here?" Yeah. <laughs> now, granted, that was more. I don't know if you say more common, but it was. You had a lot more of that going on in the seventies. Like, could you imagine that movie being made now and put out in the theater as a new movie now? <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be taken a lot more. It would be even dealt more harshly with, I think, for somebody to make a modern film that is as brutal as some of the things that are here without even being all that, you know, there's plenty of ultra violence going on in movies today, ultra gore and all this, you know, but there's a difference between that versus this is, you know, this is just strict brutality and it's, uh, yeah. it's done in a way to provoke you, I think. And on purpose, I think Kubrick's trying to provoke you. Not that I don't think he's trying to titillate the per- the audience. I, think he's I would, provoking ho- I would you. hope not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to each their own. Right. But no, I, I would, I would say, I would dare say though that a movie that would do something like this now would probably take it further than he did. You know, you would see, I think you would see a little bit more there and that rape probably would be a little bit more brutal if they put it in a movie now. In the, in the independent, maybe I would say, yeah. I would think there wouldn't be too many people in, and not that Kubrick was part of the Hollywood system, but he was sort of like in the way that George Lucas is or in the way that, you know, they're outside of it, but still accepted by it. And they're the movies it, yeah. get released. They're, so, they're, um, they're out, but in one foot in, one foot out kind of thing. Yeah. yeah I mean, because this had, like we went through, this had major distribution. I mean, Warner's right. I mean, this, this wasn't done by some small art house kind of thing, you know, like this had a budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that, that's clearly just like, well, you know, Kubrick's a master. Just let him do what he's going to do, you know? And then we'll get what we get kind of thing. He made a career out of that. Um, yeah. but, yep. But that that scene is pretty brutal. Although you don't, I mean, you, you don't see it, but you see enough to know what's going on. So it's still, you know, it's still very brutal to see that whole part where it's leading up to, you know, like you said, he's cutting the clothes off, doing, and he's singing, singing in the rain, and then he's, yeah, he's got. They wear cod pieces, right, for part of their costume or, or not costume, but whatever. You want. Yeah, it's like jock straps outside of their pants. Yeah, yeah, and underneath it, he's got the ball the rubber ball that he yeah. uses on his victim that he puts in the mouth and scotch tapes it around him or whatever. Yeah. So he's singing in the rain, boop, boop, and pulls out the rubber ball and he's bouncing it and he's got the cane and he's doing this thing and whatever. And, he's, and then it all leads up to him. He's you know pulling his pants down after he's already cut all her clothes off. And then Vitty well, brother, Vitty well, you know, <laughs> you use it more than which you can pretty much put that together. I mean, you know, view, view this well or whatever, you know, Vitty as in view or video or whatever. You know, and it wasn't until I heard it a number of times in this movie that there was one line that I use randomly from time to time is it's a pain in my Gulliver. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, Oh, that's where I got that from. Okay. Yeah. I'd forgot. It was a pain in the Gulliver. Oh, and then what about that? The teacher is. <laughs> oh, wait, are you talking about the, uh, the, the weird probation officer deltoid? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I don't know what the hell was going on there. Like, was that like a, I, I don't. I don't even know how to explain it. He's just he he acts odd at the least. But like, it's like he's trying to force him to do well, but in like a. I, I only want to stop short of saying it was a sexual way, right? But it kind of almost went there, right? Where he kind of lays him back, and it's almost like he's yeah. trying to stop himself from like, oh, I want to do this, but I can't do this kind of thing. It was kind of my read yeah. on it. That, that was. Definitely an odd, uh, you know, with all this odd, with all this odd stuff going on in this movie, this that was one that was kind of like, okay, I don't, yeah, I don't know where they were going with that, but yeah, I, I don't know where they were going in a lot of directions with this movie. I mean, I get it, but I don't get it, you know, if that makes any sense. Um, but still, it's it's a funny little random scene in there, right? Uh, another little funny random thing was when they went to that record store that we were talking about earlier. Did you notice the soundtrack for two thousand one? Yeah, Space Odyssey. <laughs> well, like right in the front. I'm sure that was completely coincidental, right? Yeah, this just happened to be sitting there in that yeah. shot. You know. Hey, what are the odds? How about when he picks up the girls from the record store and he takes them back <laughs> to his place and then they have this sped up, like, uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, the comedy. You know, that, not that music. But you, who Benny Hill. I? Benny Hill, yeah, yeah. It's almost like that. It's almost like a Benny Hill type. 
where he's just he's having like three way sex with these two girls that he picked up at the at the record store. The music of the William Tell Overture, which of course most people would know from. Well, I don't know if most people would know this. This is showing my the Lone Ranger, but I mean, yeah, that one, right? Maybe most people wouldn't know that. Yeah. But then right after that, like this is kind of where you see the really the the fall of Alex start. Like not long after that, he attacks. His two uh, droogs, right? His his two gangmates, Dem and Georgie, because they they have the the gall, right, to kind of question, like, well, I don't think we should do that. We should do this, and then he attacks them, and so that's where you kind of get th- that moment where they turn on him. So they go to this place. They they I, ba- I guess basically they set him up, right? They go to this place to rob it, and that's where he accidentally kills a woman with a the rocking dick statue. Yeah. <laughs> And they lock him in, I think, right? And then he comes out right when the cops show up. And then they, I think they bust him upside the head with a bottle or something like that, right? They they debilitate him. So, like, he goes down for this crime. For that, he is sent to prison. Like, he's like, oh, I, I didn't kill her. Like, oh, yeah, no, you did. Like, <laughs> that, uh, that dick statue, that did her in. <laughs> so now he's got to go to prison for that. And immediately he's kind of thrust into this thing where, like, He's trying to uh, sweeten his way out of there, right? Like I think he's kissing ass with the 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 parishioner or whatever there, and um, I do love that. Like they, they show him like reading the Bible and stuff like that, and then they, he points out these. He's focusing on the he's focusing on the wrong parts of the Bible, like you know. <laughs> here's the things you should take from the Bible. Now he's like, oh yeah, I like this part where they're uh, you know they get all the handmaidens and you know, all the violence and stuff like that. So he's, he's keying in on the, the, the parts you shouldn't be focusing on. Right. Talking about the, the Roman walking behind Jesus with a whip and all that. And yeah. He's- like he's the guy beating Jesus, not, you know, someone that's trying to help Jesus. No, <laughs> he imagines he's the dude beating Jesus. <laughs> um, but he volunteers for this new, like an aversion therapy. What do they call it? The Ludovico technique. Yeah. Ludovico technique. And, um, Essentially, it's like this uh, thing where they strap him down. I guess they give him drugs and stuff too, right? And they strap him down in the chair and they make him watch like these, you know, like here's some stuff of concentration camps and just these horrible images of stuff. And they've got his eyes clamped open at the same time. So so he can't close his eyes. He has to watch this. And essentially, the point of it is if he thinks of sex and violence, it's going to make him physically ill, right? Like he's going to start gagging and he gets sick if he thinks of sex and violence is the whole point of it. And part two, before we move on from that is a also by, well, I don't know if this was a coincidence or if it was one of the doctors planned it that way. But remember when he was looking for somebody before he, before Alex volunteers, he's looking in the cells of the prisoners and all that stuff. And he's in Alex's cell and he's looking at his stuff and he's got like Beethoven things in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, He's got, I think, a songbook too, and he's got a sculpture of Beethoven. He had and all, and the and the guy looks at it. The doctor looks at it. It's like, hmm. And then hmm. whenever he picks Alex, you know, then Beethoven is playing over this over this uh, imagery of violence and all the stuff like he talked about. So I don't know if that was like, if that was, you know, because he says, stop, stop, stop. You know, this is this is Ludwig van, and what he goes, what the music, the soundtrack, the Beethoven. Yes, yeah, so sorry. It, uh, can't be helped or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. so I don't know if he did that purposely because he yeah. knew it, like to dig in, like, oh, okay. yeah. you don't really like Beethoven, huh? Okay. Yeah, that's what's so, so okay. yeah, that, that, that now that also yeah. is going to be taken from him or whatever. So I don't, I'd like to say, I don't know if that was coincidental or, or purposeful on the doctor's part. I, I, I don't remember that. I would say probably purposeful. Like, like she said, you know, like it's, this is something you like. Well, fuck you. We're going to take that. You know, we're going to take that from you as well. See, I would imagine so. And, and once again, Kubrick, uh, being a master, like nothing, nothing you see or nothing that happens is by accident, right? Like that dude walking yeah. in and looking at that. Yeah. I'm sure that's all. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's all connected. So he, he finally gets out though. Like this, this allows him to get out like after what, two years or something like that in prison. And now he can just go about his life, even though now like sex and violence make him physically ill. He still tries to go on with his life and he goes back home and, they, his parents have just replaced him with this guy named Joe. <laughs> they just they just rent his room out, and now Joe is basically t- taking his place, right? And 
pretty much you get like a, yeah. you get one after another here of him just getting, I mean, and, and not to say that he doesn't deserve it. Like he was a piece of shit. Right. But every little thing is like a kick in the nuts that happens to him after that. Cause like, well, his parents have basically disowned him. Dem and Georgie, his, his, his gang mates who he attacked earlier have now, you know, a couple of years later, now they've become cops. So they go out and beat the shit out of him. Um, you just everything that can go wrong goes wrong, right? You ran into the homeless guy. Yeah, <laughs> the same hobo that they beat the shit out of, and he recognizes them, so they gang up on him, and that's when he sees Dem and Georgie, and they gang up on him. Then he wanders blindly away from that beating to find that place called home, that that <laughs> same place where the singing in the rain rape happened. Then eventually, so, so like he's, he's pretty good here though. Right. Because they actually take some pity on him and they're, they're helping him out or whatever. And then he fucks up and he's sitting in the tub and he starts singing, singing in the rain. Now, do you think that's almost like a self-sabotage thing that he did there or something? Because like he knows, I think by this point he knows where he's at, but they don't know who he is. Right. Uh, yeah. And the, the way I've used it too, is that I think, you know, they did this stuff all the time. I mean, you know, before when, like when he was with his droogs beating up people and raping them. And I think he did that all the time that that's just one of the songs he probably sung. Yeah. And multiple I didn't even think the fact yeah. that he was even singing it to them when that <laughs> happened or whatever, or, you know, however many years it's been now. Yeah. A couple years later, at least. Right. I mean, to me, that's what I, think. I don't, I personally, I don't think he self-sabotaged. I just think that it was just, he just had, like, he just got the tune stuck in his head consciously oh. or subconsciously. And then he sings it. And then that triggers, Alexander to like, Oh shit, this is the guy that did that to me. And then they also explains that his wife died. Well, they say she died of pneumonia or something, but he believed it was because of what happened because of that. Right. Yeah. right. So clearly he, and he's in a wheelchair now. So clearly he blames him, Alex for what happened to him. So now he calls in a couple people. They also, there's this political subtext thing there with that too, right? Like, Oh, well we're, we're the opposite party of the minister, right? The guy that's in charge that, that made him this way. So now we can basically make this dude commit suicide and then blame it on that party. So we can, our party can take back over. Right. So they knock him out, put him in the room upstairs and then start blasting Ludwig von Beethoven or whatever, his ninth symphony to make him go batshit crazy and jump out, jump out of the window, you know, two or three stories up and, it doesn't kill him, but you know, he, he's severely fucked up. So basically in the end, the, the government, the minister have to come to him and apologize for what they did because otherwise, you know, they look like shit for doing this to this kid. And in the end, um, the government kind of makes up, makes it up to him and they fix him. Right. So to speak. And I think one of the final lines is like, Oh, I'm cured now or something. Right. When he, he's, He's, he can instantly think about the sex and the violence again or whatever. So all of a sudden there's just this image of him having sex with a girl in front of everybody as they applaud or something like that. Right. And like, Oh, I'm cured now. Cured All right. <laughs> yeah. I'm cured All right. So there you go. That's uh that's a clockwork orange. It's a, it's a really well done movie. It's just odd. You know, that, that, that's the word that keeps coming to mind here. It's just an odd movie, but it's, it's Stanley Kubrick. So it's so well done. It's, it's hard to shit on it, right? So I think with that, I, I think I'll get started with the ratings. And like I said, it, it's it's really well done. Malcolm McDowell is awesome in it, right? I mean, just flat out. I mean, this is essentially a one-man show. I mean, yeah, there's other actors. There's a lot going on, and everybody does a fine job. But this is essentially a one-man show, right? He's narrating it. He's doing most of the scenes. This is like, like you said, Tiana, he, he may not like it, but... This has got to be like his role, right? This, this is the one. Like, it's one of the ones I'll always think of when I think of the dude, you know? For for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about it, it's just, for me, it's just slightly below, like, you know, say a five-level thing. So I'm still going to go really high, though. I'm going to say this is, uh, this is a solid four stars for me. It's something that I've seen a number of times. I'll see it. I'll probably watch it a number of times again. It's just, it's not top 10 or 15 material for me like it would be, I think, for a lot of other people. But that's just my opinion, so... Uh, Tiana, what do you what do you say about it? In my, I haven't really looked at my top five list lately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely in my top ten movies of all time. 
And, and look, just, I wouldn't argue it either. It's just, for me, it's just, I don't know. It's just so weird in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to tell exactly what they're saying here that, you know, but I, I wouldn't argue it if it was, you know, a top five or 10 movie for you. It's just the gorgeous. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and, you know, Malcolm McDowell just blows it away. No doubt. Now I'm going to give it a five. Smoke, what do you say? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I've seen it. I don't know how many times. Kubrick has more than one masterpiece. Obviously, I mean, he's got. I mean, you could just almost name off any movie. Like 2001: A Space Odyssey is a masterpiece. I think Full Metal Jacket's a masterpiece. I mean, Shining is a masterpiece in its own. So he's he's the man just churn out. You know, people would, would like kill just to have one masterpiece, and they're like, you know, just in their filmography or whatever. Right? True. Uh, but another one of his, I think, for all the reasons that Jeff said. Uh, Malcolm McDowell's amazing. Uh, Kubrick's direction's amazing. Uh, soundtrack. I think all the other incidental actors are great too. In it. Uh, the settings are cool. I, I like that they, you know, set it the way they did and didn't try to make it too futuristic. Like I said, I can't remember. It's been so long since I've read the novel, so it's hard for me to compare necessarily that. Except that I do know that Alex, I believe, was 15 in the novel. That's one major difference. That you know, of course, there you can't have a fifteen-year-old doing what he was doing in a movie. Plus, you wouldn't be able to have Malcolm McDowell, and that's and that's who Kubrick had in mind. So they changed. That was one of the big changes there. So. Yeah. But Malcolm McDowell blew it out of the park. So yeah, I can't go any lower than the five either. And it's also in my top. Uh, I, I kind of separate movies between you know favorite horror and then favorite non-horror, right? Yeah. So this one's top top ten, maybe even top five. I haven't really put together a top five non-horror list exactly but this one would be up in the top 10 for sure yeah and i'd have to go back like you said it's been a while since i looked at my own personal list you know just my favorite movies of all time i just for me it's just i don't think i put it top 10 but i ain't gonna argue it if you did you know like i could and you see so many people this is one of their personal top 10 or 15 for me this is more like top 25 i mean conversely i can see how that would be that way too (laughs) yeah i can see how not being people's top movies just based on the way it is, the structure of it, the like I said, the made up language that makes it hard to kind of understand some of it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that's one of my hang ups, you know, but it, it just is what it is. It's one of those movies for me. It's kinda like it's it's it ain't it ain't perfect, you know, for me, it ain't perfect, but it's it's damn it's damn close. But to just to compare it to some of the other Kubrick movies that we have talked about here on the show, um, Tiana, I know you weren't, you know, on the show back when we did this, but all the way back in episode thirty three we did the shining. And uh, Smoke, you gave The Shining, you and I both gave The Shining four and a half stars. And when we did Dr. Strangelove back during the summer, last summer, episode 166, Smoke, once again, you and I both gave that four stars. So that's kind of where I see this for me. This is like, it's a four just like Dr. Strangelove, but maybe for different reasons. Um, but I, for me, I think The Shining is better than this. So I stick with my rating on those. For that reason. I think for me, too, it's just like I saw this. I think I saw this before I saw The Shining. Like I said, I saw it before I should have. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, yeah, if you, if you were any younger than, say, I don't know, 16 or something, yeah, it was probably too young. <laughs> I, mean, I think I was preteen, maybe even. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and I think that's also one of the reasons, because the imagery and everything stuck with me, like, and just the sound and, and Malcolm McDowell. And I didn't really know. Malcolm McDowell from anybody. I didn't know Stanley Kubrick from anybody when I saw this movie. So yeah. later on when I saw you know, I loved that movie too. But I, maybe that's why this one's up there a little bit above there for me. Just those, just that first time it, it, I saw it and it stuck with me. Well, we'll leave it there. We don't do the uh, kill count and all that jazz for Colt Corner. So we'll, we'll leave it there. And Donnie's not here for his Colt connection. So um, that'll, that'll be enough for now for A Clockwork Orange. But it's another great one. I mean, right now our consensus uh, rating sets at uh, four point. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, four point six stars out of five. So, yeah, it's 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 high up there. No question. It's it's top ten material at least as far as uh, our cult corner movies that we've watched so far. This is a top ten flick. So, uh, we highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. Uh, if not, we've spoiled the hell out of it for you at this point. But I think you even that being said, you should still go seek it out and see it for yourself. It it definitely you know, it requires a viewing or two to, to really. the book for it. You know, yeah, that uh, too, like, you, it's hard to understand the words. Yeah. That glossary what does help. Like I said, yeah. really, maybe that's another reason why I liked it even more. So is because uh, I read the book, then I could, then I knew all these 
yeah made up work understood the terms a little more yeah that's something i'd like to get around to is reading the book one of these days so i have to check that out so that's it for uh this week uh we'll go ahead and talk about what we're going to be doing next week we return back to horror with uh it's my choice <laughs> and i'm sure all of y'all love me for this one we're going back we're finally going back to the hellraiser series and we're going to be talking about hellraiser debtor so uh be on the lookout for that. If any of you guys are huge pinhead fans, be on the lookout for next week's episode, Hellraiser Debtor coming at you. Hellraiser can get any debtor then. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, the way I see it is we need to get, we've been uh, milking the Hellraiser series long enough. We need to get through this. So I'm, I'm going to fall on the sword and sacrifice my selection to get us one movie closer to the end here. So uh, for Donnie and Will, who couldn't be with us, Tiana, Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show, and we'll talk to you next week for Hellraiser Debtor. Viddy well, brothers. Viddy well. As you leave the theater, folks, please be careful. Don't let this happen to your car. Be sure to remove the speaker before you leave. If you should accidentally pull a speaker loose, please turn it in at our snack bar or box office. Thank you.